0: Welcome to episode three of season 15 of The Growing Empire Show. Today, I'm here with my special guest, Noel Parnell, a Philadelphia native. And I find his story to be really interesting. He's a professional athlete. As a matter of fact, he was part of the 2008 Olympic team. His career prior to real estate was a scientist, but he still desired and yearned for more. And Noel is going to tell you all about his journey into real estate investing. At this point, he has a portfolio well north of $6 million, which includes land, single families, multifamilies, and commercial properties. He is an avid runner, swimmer, crossfitter, Jiu-Jitsu, and Mai Thai athlete. But what I think you're going to really grab from his interview is how disciplined he was and creative he was and how he started his real estate investing career. So make sure you stay tuned. You won't want to miss a bit of this episode. Welcome to Growing Empires, hosted by real estate entrepreneur and trusted investment advisor, Jennifer DeJesus. Growing Empires provides insight to building wealth through passive income producing real estate investments for those who want to build and manage a more profitable real estate portfolio. So welcome, Noel, to the Growing Empire show. I'm so glad that you're here.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm excited to get started. So let's kick off this episode with you sharing a little bit about your background and the work that you're doing now.
1: Yes, yes. So I am a uh, former pro athlete, former scientist, and now a full-time multi-family real estate investor and syndicator. Uh, so it's a lot that goes into that there. Um, again, I started my career really kind of spearheaded from the Great Recession in 2008 um, as a result of that, I was laid off in 2009 from uh, GlaxoSmithKline, and from there, I kind of started my uh, house hacking and then kind of built a, uh, a portfolio by myself of over $7 million worth of property. I found my partners, Tiffany Spann and Lupe Chow, about two years ago through Michael Blanc. He has make Her Live and things of that nature. I found them through there. We recognize what our superpowers are and kind of form like the Avengers, as I like to say it. And <laughs> we have been uh, working collectively together, um, for the, you know, for a little for the past two years. So, uh, within the last six months, we've closed on a 164 units. Uh, we just put another 70 unit. Under contract in Lubbock, Texas. I was just actually out there on Wednesday, uh, actually touring it, but that this went under contract right now. And we're rolling out a lot of fun things now with education and things of that nature as well.
0: Okay. Wonderful. So when did you actually start your real estate investing career? What year was it? <sighs>
1: All right. I, so I like to say I started it back in '09 when I got, uh, laid off. I kind of looked and it's like, oh man, how did, how did the rich become rich? I was kind of like, pissed at the world. Like, oh, I'm getting laid off. They don't even know how hard we're working down here. And I literally was like Googling, how did the rich get rich? And it was real estate. And I remember, I kind of laugh at this now. I was going to Barnes and Nobles and I was like bookmarking like these real estate books. I was like, I could have purchased them, but I was like bookmarking them and real estate wasn't as sexy then as it is now. So nobody was bothering it. I was going to the same Barnes and Nobles and I was just taking notes and applying it. So I would like to say my real estate journey started in 2009, but I didn't get my first property until about uh, 2014, 15. You know, I had a whole bunch of like no's before I finally got to a yes. Uh, And I was trying uh, everything from, um, you know, I did the house hacking, uh, which is my first primary home. Um, Then I started going like door to door, trying to talk to people like, hey, why don't you sell me your house? When I knew they were like, so let me back it up. In uh, Philadelphia, they have a uh, foreclosure and tax foreclosure website, and it tells you when everything's coming to auction. I had the bright idea. It was like, all right, th- if it's coming in March, I mean, if they have an auction that's coming in like August, September, let me reach out to them right now. What I learned from that is that empathy And tactfulness. No one wants to lose their home. They certainly don't want me knocking on their door, you know, on a Sunday (laughs) afternoon, like, hey, buy me your, let me buy your house. I know it's going to the auction, you know, because no one wants to lose their home. It was such an asshole move of me. You know, I just didn't, I was just really selfish. I was just thinking like, oh, I just need to get a home. I wasn't thinking on the other side that no one wants to lose their home based on, oh, they couldn't pay their taxes or, you know, for their face of foreclosure, you know, is is having some empathy for people, you know, know that they're humans. You know? And so what I came up with that is that I would give options, you know, so I worked on one my sales pitch and how one I dress when I'm going to the properties and how I present myself and what I'm offering. So I'm always offering one like, hey, how can I help you save your house? One, how can me and you partner together to save your house? Or you can sell it to me or we just depart. And, you know, so I gave those four options and that worked, that worked so much better than, you know, me. That's like, Hey, I know your house is coming up for sale. I mean, for tax foreclosure, you better buy it to me or they're going to take it. You know, that, you know, I still kind of like, man, you know, when you look back in these years, you've like, what were you thinking? You know, <laughs> approaching people, approaching people like that, you know, <laughs> at, at all. Um, so I've done that, i done that for a while and I finally got someone to agree. Uh, it actually wasn't even a tax or self-reclosure. It was a woman that had a property and we ended up doing a, um, I did two of them. I did a seller financing through a guy named Joe Dixon. I'm in Pennsylvania, so it's called a group, a real estate group is called Diversified Investment Group. It's one of the oldest in Pennsylvania. And I met this gentleman there, and he was like, All right, we'll do these terms of seller financing of this property. He was looking to uh, unload his property, he was retiring. We worked out the deal. That was my first seller financing opportunity. And then the second one I did was a subject to deal where I took over the uh, the mortgage. You have to remind people disclaimer, do a sell clause all the time of what can happen. Um, that, that property was very promising. Uh, Both of them were very promising. I still own both of them today, but that kind of spearheaded me kind of getting my feet wet in properties. And then, um, I started being a network. I want to choose my language, uh, casually here, but I was at every network event every day of the week. If there was a network event in the tri-state area, whether it was New York, New Jersey, Delaware, or anywhere in Pennsylvania, I would try to be in a networking event. Every day of the week, trying to meet as many people as I can and learn as much as I can, and that's what kind of led me up here to finding like my private lenders and you know parlaying uh, two units to four units. I started doing ground up buildups. Um, but that's that was kind of the sweet spot is kind of doing renovations on uh, single family homes.
0: Okay, so let's back up for just a quick second. I want to make sure I'm getting this timeline right. So. You were laid off, and was that from your pro career, or is that from your scientist corporate job?
1: That was a scientist career. So uh, I, I tried out for the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. I did not make it, but I still got to go as a Paralympian. So you are um, you help another individual that's blind run. And so at the same time, we're tethered together. So I'm his mirror image. And so that was really um, fulfilling for me because I always feel like my life has like these milestone lessons I don't know until I'm, I'm older now. But I'm like, it taught me how to really... Look behind my own selfishness. Cause you know, when you're running, it's a single sport. You know, and over right. like I trained four years for less than 10 seconds and it was over. You know? And wow. I um I you know I still got the great chance to go ahead and, and take him there. But then like my um I remember my stepmother was like, All right, what are you gonna do now? What are you gonna do now? It's the, you didn't make the lifting team, what are you gonna do now? And I had another life lesson of that as well as don't let anyone impose their fears on you. I was, I was 26, 27 at the time. I was still young, but it was their fear. Like, what are you going to do with this running? Like, I still had my degree. I didn't even go to my, um, I didn't go to grad school yet, but you know, it took me down another path, but you don't let anyone else's fear impose. It was their fear out of love, but you can't let someone else's fear, you know, be imposing on you. Cause I was like, Oh, they're, they're right. What am I? Want to do when I look back at it, I'm like I was 26, 27 years old. I was if I can get those days back in the in the the blackness of my hair, all the grays I have now. Oh, I would
0: give, <laughs> I would give for that. <laughs> That's funny. So you you got laid off then. So you did your pro stuff. You know you got your degree. You did your pro stuff. Then you you took a job as a scientist, and then you were laid off. I assume that that came as a shock to you. I assume you didn't see the writing on the wall that it was happening. <laughs>
1: No. They called us into a room. I mean, everybody, this is the uh Elian, uh anybody who was in GSK down there in RTP. It was the Elin Elian Hitchings building. It's the building that looked like a beehive for for all my folks down there in RTP. And I remember the day um they all called us in a room and was like, Yeah, we're shutting all this down. And I was just like, What the F? Like yeah. And this is it was new to me because this is one of my first you no know, jobs out of, you know college you know i was i was, I was fresh and so right. i'm like this is what happens like yeah so that was that was all new to me
0: <laughs> so so what made you venture into real estate i know you said you kind of dived in you googled you were reading books but what made you say real estate and not let me go back and use my degree or let me go back to corporate america
1: so so I, I use real estate in the sense that I first I was like, all right, how do the rich become rich? I, I found some stat at that time. It was like 96 percent of the people that were you know wealthy started with real estate. So I was like, all right that's a great point. All right. And you have options, you know, because I, I don't believe money can buy you happiness. But money gives you options that you don't have to do the things that you don't want to do or you can move and pivot when you don't have to. So I wanted that. And then when I got laid off, I was like, well, I need shelter. I was like, all right. So let's let's make sure we figure out we can have some place to, you know, at least live, whatever. And so that's what kind of spearheaded into that there. Uh, I did go back into corporate because I never hated my job. I still love science. I'm still like kind of a a geek at nature. It's that I outgrew it. So um, I officially left in 2016 where I kind of supplemented my income. um, And that's when I left to go kind of full time. In real estate, and um, I'm still still thankful for one my my education background and just my circle of pharmaceutical colleagues because when the pandemic hit, I was doggy paddling. You know, no one predicted like, hey, my tenants wouldn't have to pay. You know, you had some old tenants that weren't paying anyway, but once they said no one has to pay and no one has to get out, my mortgages were still coming at the beginning of the month. As planned, I had, I had no one from my mortgage company saying, Hey, you know, we understand what's going on. You, you can take these months off. I had to float my money and I'm glad I took consulting gigs and things of that nature. I took some other positions in, in pharma just to hold that over until the eviction memorandums were over.
0: Okay. So, all right, we're getting somewhere now. So you, uh, you know, you, you took another job, you were laid off, you took another job, but you were already immersing yourself into real estate. And I assume your ultimate goal at that point then was to live financially free, but also to escape your corporate job. Was that kind of in your mindset initially, or did that come at a later time for you? That came at a later
1: time. I think I, 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 never was looking at it to escape my corporate job. Actually, I actually liked what I was doing. Um, I, I still tether between, well, I still weather between, um, maybe starting a, a small bio startup, biomaker startup later on in life. But I, um, that was never the issue. I think it became an issue when, um, my responsibilities for the real estate start outweighing and became, start becoming detrimental to my work. And once that happened, I was like, oh, all right, you need to make some decisions here. And it, it kind of really, it didn't happen fast, uh, because I, I would say if I had a timeline, I started doing much better at my job once I had financial independence. And these are like, um, I'm very methodical and metric, so I want to keep. So my first thing when I was doing with my real estate, I was like, I want financial independence. So I was like, how many units do I need? to net where I can actually keep shelter, food, insurance, and my my car new. That's all I wanted, you know, and food in the fridge. It was just me. And so once I hit that number, I was like, Whew, all right, this is passively coming in. I was good. But what that had me do is that my performance in the pharmaceutical world actually increased because I didn't have that anxiety like oh my goodness, what if I do something wrong here? Or if I mess up, are they going to fire me? Or are they going to lay me off? You know, a lot of uh these pharmaceutical places, there are type A, you know, where it's it's really grind, 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 more for less, which is the world is coming to it now anyway. But my performance actually increased because I was like, all right, I can actually just focus on my job and not like walk on eggshells, making sure that's what I'm doing something incorrectly. Sure. And then I had another stage where I was like, oh, I'm overexceeding this right now, where now it's kind of, it did come to a point where I was like, oh man, I got to take this meeting during work hours. I was like, "Uh, I'm not, I'm not big on floundering and stealing time uh, at all. You know, it's, you have to have some ethics and morals about yourself. So I did put in, I, I, my friends always say it's the longest two week notice ever. And I put in a two week notice, which it was about two months. And I wanted <laughs> to make sure that I can like, cause I'm, I'm big on like finishing the projects. So I want to give enough time for the transition. And I didn't need like a, a true two weeks, but I told them like, Hey, this is my, going to be my end time. And it ended up being a little over two months. And they were like. What, what is this? I was like, well, I just want to make sure I can, you know, do all my projects and things of that nature to, you know, and, and uh, transition them properly. So yes, that's, sure. where, that's where I'm at.
0: <laughs> so when you got to a point where your income was starting to passively exceed what you were making at your corporate job, like you were able to provide all those things that you had mentioned, your shelter, your car, your insurance, your food, how many properties did you actually own at that time?
1: Uh, 30. So 30, well, it was 30 doors, but at that time, I think it was about 11 properties.
0: Okay. So you're buying, you were buying multifamily, single family, a little bit of both?
1: Small, small, at that time it was small residential. So it was more uh, triplexes and quads. Okay. That's what I was buying. Okay. And I would, and I would buy them, um, with a, an index that I needed to buy and rehab them at no more than 60% of the after rehab value. And I did this because I knew the banks were going to, you know, lend at 70, 75%. So I knew I couldn't buy and rehab at that because I'll still be, to me, I would be upside down. So I wanted to do that cash out and take that money and put it in other things. And then also I had a number that I wanted to make. I wanted to make at least $350, uh, $350 per door. So if I was doing it correctly, I could, I knew that I needed 30 doors at $300. That would give me nine grand. The net. And I was looking always at the net, and so that was the goal when I finally hit that.
0: Okay. So we're going to definitely talk today about growing your portfolio and your rehabilitation projects and I've asked Noel to join me to share his wealth of knowledge throughout the years on these subjects. So we're going to dive right into this section because I think this is so critical. So you talked about these 30 units and you had mentioned before that you had previously bought some through like tech sale, just kind of a network. So we're all 30 of those doors essentially at that time done that same way. They were all rehab type projects where you're either helping somebody out of a bad situation or you're buying them from tax sale or foreclosure or something of that nature. Or did you find properties in a, any other manner at that time?
1: Correct. So I would say about um, at that time where I hit the 30, about 15% of them were a, a special a special circumstance where it was like a... Um, a tax foreclosure and I was saying, Hey, let's do a seller financing or some type of owner financing special deal. The rest of them were, I was, I would jog in the neighborhoods that I wanted to be in. And, uh, particularly during the summers, it was great or the winter. Um, you could see who's taking care of the properties, like if it was a lot of grass or, um, they, they put a lot of info for like pizza places, slides in the doors. And you see them like filled up you're like, oh, they're not here. You know, so let me go ahead and find who they are. Um, and so that's what I would do. And I would uh, rehab them. So I would go ahead and I was buying these properties at this time at by maybe $20,000, like 20 to $30,000. And then um, placing about at that time, you know, I could I could rehab for fairly cheap. A um, full rehab, maybe one hundred thousand. For a full rehab of these places, um, and then I was cashing out, and so that that was the tax free money. Which uh, I'll I'll say that story for another time because like earlier on, I didn't even know about the burr. You know, someone, I happened to be there. Someone's like, you're not doing that? And I was like, no, I'm just getting loans on them. And so it, it did help me out later on because I got, I had equity, so much equity in other properties. I, I ended up taking that stuff out, but that's how I did it. I was kind of buying those from distressed properties, um, finding them. They were C-class properties. And I was like, oh, there's a market for this. Um, so I would look for places I would run at, and then I would look for the bigger developers This is pretty much in any city. Like Normally, if you have a bigger developer in your city, they always have to talk to the council people or somewhere in the city and have to put in those plans. Those are always free to knowledge. And I would go on the borders of those areas and find, because I would be outpriced, but I would find on those borders of those areas and I would buy up those type of properties there.
0: Okay. So you were, you said you were doing some like seller finance deals. Were you buying things any other way? Were you buying some cash? Were you buying because of the price tag on them? Were you doing any other traditional financing methods?
1: No, the only traditional financing, uh, method I've used was my own personal home, which I, uh, I house hacked out of those as well. I had four bedrooms and I rented out every four bedroom, the couch, everything, um, <laughs> when I was house hacking. Everything else was primarily through, um, seller financing, uh, and I built a reputation, uh, from the networking and I found I, not, they're still, they're like family to me right now. They're actually, uh, they're, they have a website now called 123lending.com. Uh, their owners, Karen and Michael Yalowitz, uh, they taught me so much. They ended up being my private lenders. And if I brought the properties, um, at below 65%, I was getting 100% of purchase and 100% of rehab. And so I did have to pay like, you know, some, some soft costs as far as insurance and you pay the points, but it was, it was minimal to pair to the, the grand nugget of it all. But most importantly, they taught me about finance. They taught me about debt uh you know um i i like i said i'm they were one of my probably one of my favorite mentors they probably don't even know they mentored me but i would always just ask to pick their brains on how their their relationship with money and and having a good relationship with money and how that relates with uh real estate as well you know uh, which is another big thing cuz once i left my job I didn't realize how bad I was mismanaging my money. You know, it was intermingled. You know, I was making six figures in pharma and I was making good money there. But I was like, oh, wait a minute. I was intermingling some things here and there. And then also I wasn't filing business taxes. So I was getting predatory loans after a while as well because I didn't have two years of business taxes. So it was just certain things that I learned and they helped me out a lot along the way. So I'm very appreciative of them. We're still great friends to this day. <laughs>
0: Wonderful. So, you initially bought all these properties just by yourself, or did you have partners any, anywhere along the way?
1: Uh, they're all by myself.
0: They were all by yourself. It yes. must have taken an incredible amount of time for you to source these deals, work work the neighborhood, right? And then you were talking about you know essentially rehabbing the properties too. So were you physically doing the work or were you hiring people to do the work?
1: I was hiring people to do the work. And so I went through a lot of failures, um, knowing how to deal with contractors, knowing how to deal with the contracts. Um, I lost some of my own personal money that I was, I was having that I was paying from my pharma job. Uh, I mean, again, it taught me another lesson of how to um, deal with contractors, how to properly do a scope of work, how to vet properly, and also to know what good stuff looks like. You know, you have to go to other people's projects sometimes to understand what a good rehab looks like because when you're new, you're like, oh, okay, that that looks good. I, I once had an HVAC guy convince me of a a left-handed, what do you call it? You can call it like this is a left-handed uh, HVAC, a uh, uh, left-handed heater. And I was like, a left-handed heater? He's like, yeah, this is just a left-handed heater. I didn't know what the hell that meant. And it was BS. Is He took it from another property. And so he covered that ductwork up and put it into, it was a used one. And, and now I recognize that, but I was just like, I had no clue of like what it, what it was, but it You know, I would say it, it helped me because now then I do like the larger things. I know, I know the pricing for work. I know the pricing for materials. I know how to measure floors. I know drywall costs. I know how to measure how many sheets we need. So I'm very appreciative of that, even though I'm not in the weeds, uh, any longer and kind of that, that, that facet. I, um, I'm more take of a asset management role. And I hired a team of people here in Philadelphia where they report to me, I give them cards and I just see the monthly readouts on the cards of what we're buying for materials. And we review it, uh, as a pro- they're like my project managers essentially. And I'm a, I act as like a program manager, asset manager, and I'm just looking at the projects and making sure that we're, uh, we're aligned on timing.
0: Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about the actual acquisitions. And we talked about how you found them, right? Some of the deals. But let's talk about how you vetted the deal. How did you know that this was a good deal versus something else that you saw? Because I'm sure you walked away from just as many deals as you bought, if not more. Absolutely.
1: Um, For everybody listening, it's quality over quantity. You know, that was always my thing, quality over quantity. And one of the big things that I'm looking for is, one, I'm looking for the uh, one of things I would look for the after rehab value in that area. And I would, you know, most banks would go out 0.5 I'm, I would go conservatively and I'm like, what is it for 0.3 and always compare apples to apples, uh, you know, oranges to oranges. And then I would have what I call a, um, I would work a, a formula called a maximal allowable offer sheet. I know it in my head now, but, um, I guess if I break down the numbers is that I want to have my ARV. Um, and then I'm going to have costs. My costs are maybe buying costs. I'm a, I'm associate 3% for buying costs. My carrying costs is another 3%. Closing costs is 3%. My margin of error is 1% and an equity or a profit is 20%, which gives me about 30% uh, that I will take off of that ARV for costs. Then I have another line item, uh, which is repairs. And so, I always tell people like you always can get a contractor, but if you don't have a contractor there at that moment for your, for your specified area, you can, you can multiply the square footage per, you know, per dollar of what is going in your area. So I know when, my Philadelphia, I can do $80 per square foot. Some of the high end areas, they may be building at $120, $130 a square foot. So I wouldn't, I would normally say, all right, if this is a full rehab, I'm going to say, if this is a, um, 2000 square foot place, I'm going to say I need everything. So that means 2000 times, uh, $80. That is going to be my rehab cost there. So that would actually, you know, give me $160,000. So I know right now that that's that right there. So that's going to give me a good uh, notion. So now I'm just going to do is I'm going to um, take the ARV minus the 30% of costs minus that repair number I just gave. And that's going to give me a figure. And then I'm going to take 15% from that figure. And that's what I'm going to start my negotiation price at. So if we had a, uh, let me get a calculator real quick. So sure. Out there, if you have a calculator, let's say if you have a property that's worth $500,000 and we know that we'll take that 30% cost. So that means that's um, that's $150,000 in costs. And we already said this is a 2,000 square foot place. And we're going to say we're rehabbing at $80 per square foot. So now we have $160,000. So we already know that our re- our after rehab value of this property is uh, $500,000. So we're just going to subtract that $150,000 and that 160, $160,000. And that gives you $190,000. As your maximum reliable offer that I could place in for that property. Um, Then I would also uh, times it times 15. So that 190,000 minus 28,500 is 161,000. So that's how I will start my negotiation. And so that's where I would, that's where I would start at. Okay. Um, and so, so that's, so that, that would, that's, uh, I would, I know those rules by heart. So now when I go into a property and area, I can kind of pinpoint and I, I do it well enough where I'm like, Oh, I know these houses here. I, I'm familiar with the area. It's just like clockwork in the head. But I remember, um, Danielle Smallwood works for uh KW. She took me around in the summer of 2015 and I always owe her a lot of credit. She she helped me out with this. She knew I wasn't buying anything. I just want to perfect my craft. And I was like, I just need you to show me houses, six or seven houses a week. And I would just go and I would just underwrite them just for practice. I was like, fix her uppers. And I just wanted to practice, 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 practice. And I, um, I owe her a lot of, uh, credit, um, just for, you know, just giving me that time, you know, cause she's a licensed realtor and she would just get, you know, walk with me with these properties. And I was like, I'm just looking to practice. And she did that for me. Um, and so I'm always grateful for her.
0: The episode will continue in just a moment. As an investor, we know it's important to stay on top of market trends and real estate opportunities that add value to your portfolio. We also know that having a trusted source of reliable information to help you stay a step ahead of other investors is critical to your success. If you're interested in having these types of resources, as well as access to me and my team, I invite you to join the Empire Investment Club, a free service that gives you an easier way to make sense of today's and tomorrow's real estate opportunities. As a member of the Empire Investment Club, you'll get access to relevant resources and investment-focused experiences such as live interactive webinars, market trend presentations, and investor socials designed to equip you with what you need to succeed. So whether you're an active investor, passive investor, a combination of both, or just starting out, the club is where you'll get what you need to build a portfolio you love. To join, just head over to jenniferdehesus.com, sign up, and we'll see you in the club, where everyone's on a journey to becoming a better investor. So you talked about immersing yourself in books and you referenced investor meetup groups, networking events. You referenced uh, Michael Blanco, who I know does a phenomenal podcast as well as training sessions. So you're, you're getting all of your education from resources outside of you, right? And you're bringing that in and you're testing this knowledge and trying to figure out which works for you. How did you navigate that? How did you know that I'm learning all these things? Because there's so many different ways to invest. How did you narrow down your search to it's going to be C-class and it's going to be, I assume you're investing in the Philadelphia market, correct? Uh, I'm in Philadelphia. I'm in Texas. I'm in Kentucky okay. and, and Georgia. So how did you get from all this knowledge that you're grabbing from all of these resources, right? All of these areas. How did you set your sights on? It's going to be C-Class and this is what I'm going to do. And these are the locations that I'm going to do it in. How did you narrow all that knowledge to get to to a path where you could take action?
1: Uh, well, I guess it's twofold. You always have to take action, but we'll talk about that later. So, I think the C class is more by default. Um, you look at what you what you have in your account and what you can afford. And so there's always a, there's a running joke in real estate that C-Class is crack. They're like, oh, now C-Class is the crack properties. N- not necessarily. You can make, you, you know, I always say that, you know, singles and doubles will get you to the Hall of Fame just as quickly as home runs do. And you have to start somewhere, you know, as long as you're looking at a trajectory. So I started with C-Class because it was the easiest to get into uh for what I could afford and what I can navigate, whether it was solar financing or with my private lenders. But now I um, as I'm I'm scaling up, I'm going more into the B and A classes. And I chose areas now that um I still have some things in Philadelphia to finish, but I don't do Philadelphia anymore. I'm more prone to red states. Uh just because the landlord laws are a lot more friendly. Um, I kind of learned that through the pandemic um. So I was like, you know, got burned once. I don't need that lesson again. So I've been, uh, I've been a lot. I've been in Houston a lot, Lubbock, Texas, Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, Marietta and uh, Decatur, Georgia. Those are the areas that I that I am. I also like Tennessee as well. But those are the reasons why I transitioned to those states and those classes. And as you go up, um, you know, particularly getting bigger into the commercial real estate. It's important that, I, you know, I compound my, my C classes for my net worth because, um, you know, it's a ratio of one to one when you're buying a building. So just because I get $11 million building doesn't mean I'm going to get it because, you know, the commercial lender is going to say you need to have $11 million in net worth. You know, and so when I need to get up into these upper buildings, that's where we combine our powers, me, me Tiffany, and Lupe, and we go ahead and get these B class properties. And eventually, you know, you may want to move into A. Um, I still like the B areas so because, you know, the A's are very stable, but it doesn't give a lot of room for our investors, like to squeeze any juice out of it left. You know, maybe in maybe 10, 15 years, I'll just predominantly do A-class properties. But right now, I'm trying to squeeze the juice, provide value add, and and just present um great, great living spaces for for individuals. I'm big on culture, so once we have like with the property manager, we're we're like we're learning what religions people are part of when their birthdays, because it's you know we can send free e, e- like e cards. You know, it's it's about presenting a culture for people where we have inclusiveness and they feel this wanted and love. And when you're changing over, especially a C-class building, you have to change the culture of that building, you know, and make people know like, hey, there's new sheriffs in town. Uh, You know, we're loving care for you. We're presenting this and we want you to take care of it just as much as we're trying to take care of you guys.
0: Sure. So you bought these properties, right? You were doing a lot of rehabs on them and you said you'd learned some very valuable lessons. Give me just a quick, you know, two second tutorial on some of the aha moments that you had in your rehab projects.
1: One, um, make sure your contracts have milestones on those. Uh, so have your contracts milestone delivered. So it means your contract that has to deliver on this, this, and this for them to them, for them to receive payment. Uh, I learned that my other thing is that never give them 50% up. They, they didn't do 50% of the work. So I never give a contractor 50% like, I need 50% to get started. Why you didn't, you didn't give you them 50% of the work. How about my, my thing now that I do is that, and my best contract is also follow this is that. I, I'll supply materials and then you get paid on executing that yourself. Or guess what? You front your your own your own uh, labor and then guess what? I'll pay you afterwards and I'll put them on a biweekly schedule of every two weeks. And I do that through Amex. Uh, and so I'll tell them they should set up an account where I can pay them through my Amex. Because if you don't know, Amex will take back anything, if you tell them like, hey, they didn't complete this, I can call Amex up and they'll be like, all right, we'll take that money back from them. So this is an extra level that I use to kind of secure myself, you know, with that. Um, I'm big on buying my materials. I had a situation where it put me in a precarious situation where one of my HVAC uh, technicians for a four unit building I was doing uh, died from COVID during the pandemic, Oh, man. And he had my units in his storage. And I'm I'm trying to figure out how to talk to his wife, you know, and still be compassionate about that. But knowing I still have a business to run and I need, you know, I had almost fifty thousand dollars worth of, of material for my 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 heaters and uh, AC condensers that need to go on my units. And, you know, that's, that was a hard thing to deal with, you know, cause she's trying to deal with the fact that she doesn't have her husband any longer, right. you know, where, you know, their children doesn't have a father any longer. And I still have to, you know, navigate that. Like, all right, you know, the empty, but also I'm running a business as well. And I need to complete this project because I'm picking, I'm making payments on this every month. Sure. Um. So I always hold my materials uh now in a in a, in a storage or a warehouse. I can't no longer kind of let the guys just kind of hold hold it there themselves. Sure. Because uh, that was just a very it, it was just that was a no win situation for for me at all. You know, either way you look at it, I was going to be again an a hole because I had to ask for it, and it it just sucked. It sucked.
0: <laughs> Do you still use the same contractors today?
1: Uh, yes. So I still have, I have a team of three, um, I have, which I call my A team. Uh, and then they're not, I'm a C team, but they're two Bs, but my guy that's really good. Um, I kind of put him on a lot of jobs to keep them working. So yes, I still keep them there. Okay. And we understand, and we understand how we work. Um, I have a uh, end of the year celebration for everybody. that's kind of thanking everyone there. I also try to get them and teach them how to own their own properties as well. So are that's not fixing things up for me. They can build for their families as well. You know, I think that's. Um, I like to think that's one of the reasons that we work so well together. I never like to say anyone doesn't uh, work for me. I, I like to think we all partner together because I need them as just as much as you know we need each other.
0: How important do you think those relationships have been in your career, in your success, in your real estate investing?
1: I, I can't put a number on it. It is relationship. Those relationships are everything. And I mean, and once you find, you know, a a good, a good person, a contractor, um, You pretty much hold on to them because people are always like, "Hey, you know anybody good?" I'm like, "I can't give you my guy. I'm sorry. I need to keep him working. So I may give out somebody else that I'm like, I can't give you out my guy because he's that good. It's almost a little selfishness. It's like, listen, I can't. That's my girlfriend. I can't. I can't lend out my girlfriend here. You know, like (laughs) that. that, I just can't do it. You know. I have another person here that can help you, but I can't. Not my main squeeze. Yeah.
0: I completely understand that. So, how did you how did you scale beyond all this? So, you had all these deals. You had like thirty doors, and you know where are we today? How many how many doors do you have that you own personally or with partners?
1: Yeah, so personally, I'm at 123. Okay, by myself, and with partners, we're at two two thirty eight. Right now.
0: Okay. So where where in that timeline did the partners start to come in when you started to do things with other people?
1: Um, so that came in where I wanted to um buy apartment buildings. I didn't know how to underwrite apartment buildings. And so I found the um I didn't know how to underwrite and I was like, All right, how do you how do you do this? And I found the Michael Blanc uh podcast. I was listening to him and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna join his mentorship program. And I did. I joined this mentorship program and I got a lot out of it. I, I learned how to underwrite. Uh, you get access to its SDA and um, a lot of members of this team. Uh, so I'm always grateful for that there. And that's where I met Tiffany. Um, and me and Tiffany met at a conference. Uh, we were just kind of sharing. She's in the uh, D.C. area <clears throat> and we were just talking about goals and where we want to go. And. I would say this is always very important for anybody that's looking to partners that people grow. Uh, they grow all the time, every day by day, year by year. And it's always uh, good to be transparent on what your needs and wants are. Because it's like a marriage. Uh, I, I would say it's a marriage. You need to be able to be transparent what with your needs. So our needs and what we talked about you know, two years ago are completely different to what they are now. Because now we're doing... We're we're about to roll out you know mentorship, we're about to roll out training classes and things of that nature. We never talked about it right there, but that was a need for one of the partners. And you you have to you have to understand though like I guess that guess what? I know we were doing this right here what I liked, now let's do what you like, whatever. So, you know, because I necessarily do not like um the t- selling of classes, I love talking real estate. So that is one of the things I love doing. Like I, I and I always tell them, I was like, "This let me know what class I need to show up for. What's my topic? You know, keep me. Let me get my talking points because I know so much stuff. I can go off the rails, so I just need to be kept on track because um, I love talk. And then we're good. Um, but that's how we got into our partnership. And uh, she does like the back office stuff. So I do asset management acquisitions. She does. Uh, every everything else that people don't see as far as the the snow bio the active campaign the newsletters you know um making sure the the bank accounts look look great you know um Lupe Chow does our capital raising, and I was like, you know she can raise you no know, i I've seen her raise over you know two million dollars in a month and a half, you know I don't know what you know, I don't know if she has like mob with her. Like, I'll put you in the trunk. I don't know how she does it, but she she does it. She's amazing at she's amazing at it. And I'm thankful for both of those ladies. You know, um they're amazing. They're this they're just awesome, and they still do their own things. Like, I know they purchased the marina. You know, I wasn't interested in the marina, um, but they purchased the marina in uh, Missouri or Michigan somewhere. It's pretty awesome, you know. But I'm like. I'm just so proud that uh, I like to say like we found each other because we really feed off each other. Um, we're very honest. Uh, you need that honesty in partnerships. We don't sugarcoat stuff. So I don't like to say it's arguing, but we do trust test each other because we're looking out for, you know, our investors. That's very important to us is that our investors. And when you're syndicating, you're taking someone's nest egg essentially. And you just want to make sure like you're, You're you're taking care of that baby, you know, and so that's and it's important that you have in partners like that. That's it's not like there's nobody's like a yes man or yes woman there. It's like all right, yeah, let's just go on with it. No, we're gonna we're gonna stress test each other about it.
0: So the partnership is about you being able to scale. am I correct? And now you're also now you're essentially lending your services to other people now because you you mentioned syndicating and that's kind of what I got as we we're gonna move into a little bit more about Crown Capital and like where that came from and what you're doing there for investors. but I, I gather that you were now in the syndication. So now you're able to scale much faster because you've got partners with different expertises. Would you say that that was the main reason that you've been able to go from those 30 doors to the couple hundred doors that you have?
1: Uh, Yes and no. I would say no. I I could have been on the same trajectory by myself. It had just been a lot slower. And my main goal is to move. I need to increase my net worth within the next 15 years expeditiously. So my main goal, I think you answered this before. I may, I don't think I answered it, is what, I guess, what, What has motivated me to do the scale? And I want to own a football team or a sports team, like a minority ownership. That's the ultimate goal. I'm using real estate as a vehicle to buy into either a baseball team, football team, hockey team. I want to use that for, uh, I want to use real estate as a a vehicle to get into that. And so uh, you need your net income to be a a certain, um, excuse me, your net worth to be at a certain level. And I could not scale it at the time that I want to be at doing it by myself. So I needed my partners to help me to grow faster. And so that's the main reason.
0: All right. So tell me about Crown Capital. What is Crown Capital?
1: Crown Capital is like, honestly, we help busy professionals know that they have other avenues to invest other than 401ks. That's why we have a thing called wealth without Wall Street. Um, you know, there's you know we learn so much every day, and we like to like every time we give webinars, we're giving webinars uh, from people that we actually use from self directed IRAs, from insurance companies, whole life insurance. We're giving you everything that we didn't have accessible to us when we were in our W2s and you were like, Oh my goodness. I didn't know this was, this is this is known to me. You know, if I go back into my W2 right now, I wouldn't put my money in my 401k. would do a self-direct, but I wouldn't do my, I wouldn't put my money in a, in a 401k there. You know, I do not understand that there's like, Oh, what about the matching? Well, yes, they are matching. So yes, I guess get the match, but it's not free money. You know, no company is giving you anything for free. Most likely they're lowering your salary. That's why they're giving you the match. But after the match, let's say you want to do that match. I wouldn't go over that. I would just park money in a self-directed and I would, I would start using that to invest in so many different real estate vehicles. Um, we, our, our, our preference is real estate, but we don't tell people. People, oh, you should be in the stock market because I keep my money in the stock market as well. I just know my returns over the last twelve years, real estate has been kicking the stock market's ass. You know, and this is just me. Like, I'm for real. Like, I think my returns on average may have maybe been like four to five percent. You know, and I have money allocated to you know feed the market. I mean, now I'm just getting slaughtered, but it'll go back again. I still deposit money into it as as normal every month. Part of my rental income goes into the market and I'm just, you know, it'll come back up again, it cycles. But when I look at it, you know, in this comparison, real estate just does, so, it is, it's just so much better and it's tangible. You know, I can physically touch it. You know, I can, I can touch the brick, you know? So we like to do investor tours. We like to show people like, Hey, you have options. You can be an active investor or you can be a passive investor. We can teach you how to be an active investor. You know, you may say, Guess what? I like what your guys are offering, but you know, maybe I want to do my own thing. That's fine. We can teach you how to do your own thing. You may have a great network where you can do that. We believe in abundance, so we're not trying to hold nothing back or say, Oh, you can't look behind the closed curtain. You know, we believe you know, a, a closed fist. Cannot give anything, but it can't receive anything as well. So we're all about, you know, just giving info out and not just info of what we heard, info of what we're using, you know, because I always say in real estate nowadays, there are great marketers out there. Mm -hmm. Great marketers. But, you know, but how many of them are really doing real estate? Can they really show you the HUDs and the loans that they signed on? Sure. And here we do. I don't have a a big number saying, oh, I'm in like 2,000 plus units because I'm not a great marketer. I'm going to be honest with you on what I have and what, and what we do right there, you know? So that's really important to us, you know, that we're not great marketers. We're just great real estate investors.
0: Okay. Fair enough. So crown capital is you, you have blogs, you've got resources on your website. I saw that for investors starting out, it looks like you, you know, obviously you do your syndications and then you also have meetup groups that you do. So you're hosting your own networking groups and then you mentioned a little bit more of the, like the mentoring ship that's getting started too. So where can, where can our listeners find you? How do they get in contact with you?
1: Oh yeah. For me, I could be found at uh, Noel Parnell on uh, LinkedIn. And so it's Noel, N-O-E-L, uh, Parnell at LinkedIn.com. And then also Noel at CrownCapitalCorp.com. And we have our website, crowncapitalcourt.com, and you'll find all our events. If you're in the uh, DMV area and you're listening in, we do have another a networking event coming up on June 8th. Uh, and we do uh, webinars. We kind of uh, postponed them from the summer, but we do them every Thursday evening. And we're just giving out, you know, they're just... Come and come and go, but everybody is. We're gonna pick them back up in the winter. You know, summer. We you know at seven p.m. people want to enjoy. You know, the extra sunlight. We sure do. We know it's a a long week. It's at the tail end of the week for their families and things of that nature. But the winter, we're still picking it back up again.
0: All right, fair enough. So if if you had to give me one tip for investors, just one, your best best tip, what would it be?
1: They're going to laugh at me with this process because it's, it, it's one of my favorites. It's from, uh, oh man, I, I only won, right?
0: Only one. You can only give me one.
1: Oh, okay. It's, uh, it's all right. It's so, uh, oh, you got me with this one. All right. So i gonna go with this one. <laughs> it's, it's better to be prepared for an opportunity that you don't have than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. I like it and And what that is means is that you should i always I always talk about how many years I went without getting a property, but I was still always working on the craft. so when it did come, I was ready to receive it. You know, I never doubted myself, and so that's what that phrase really really means. But I had about a good three of them that she used. That that was really hard right there. So that's that's a good one. <laughs> had to pick between the three, but I you had couldn't. to
0: pick one. You had to pick one. Well, Noel, I think uh, you you're such a inspiring personality uh, and person. You know, from from all of your you know, different ventures in life to how you kind of navigated it all to real estate and the success that you guys have now had with Crown Capital, your own personal success in investing. I can't thank you enough for being a guest on the show. And, um, you know, I hope our listeners will reach out and, and get a hold of you at crowncapitalcorp.com.
1: Great, great, great. I, I, look, thank you for having me on. Listen, I would love to be on again and show you how, this is a, a personal deal I did. It's a 20 unit in Houston. I got a 20 unit in Houston under a specials, financing for under five grand and wow. i took that over five grand i got that's a I, that may be an episode in itself how i structured <laughs> it in, how i came together but i did that uh for five thousand dollars a 20 unit in houston texas so
0: wow that's fantastic well i'm sure we will have you back again as a guest and again i really appreciate your time today
1: thank you so much have a great day all
0: right you too bye-bye bye-bye i hope you enjoyed my interview with Noel parnell Make sure you stay tuned for the rest of season 15. And until next time, take care. For more information about how Jennifer can help you plan, develop, and manage a strong real estate investment portfolio, visit growingempires.com.